What went wrong with the Packers special teams last season and how does it get fixed? How does Rich Bisaccia help it and why his arrival is not enough to fix it? We talk with Cassidy Hill, who deep dove into the problem for Packers news coming up next. You are locked on Packers. I feel like we can run the table. Really Your daily Green Bay Packers podcast. Rodgers gets out. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Floats it. Your team. Oh, every day. Touchdown. You are locked on Packers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm Peter Bukowski and I cover the Packers for the Leap. A newsletter I would love for you to subscribe to. You can follow me on Twitter, Peter underscore Bukowski. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked on Packers. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked on Packers. And anytime you want to hit us up on the Locked on Packers fan hotline, you can do that 920-341-3775 to stay. Locked on Packers. Uh, And that's usually what we do at the outro. We did it for the intro. That's all right. We'll take it. We'll do it. It's Friday, guys. It's Friday and it's the offseason. So we're all in offseason mode here a little bit. Cassidy Hill, our friend from Packers News, is on the show today. She did an awesome deep dive into the Packers special teams debacle. She'd been working on it for months. And it has a lot of really good information in it, a lot of really good breakdowns in it. She also put a tweet thread out um, about with some of the clips of some of these plays so you can look at them and remember them and go, oh, my God, I forgot about that because I actually forgot um, just had had shoved it deep down into the recesses of my brain somewhere um, that the Packers missed two field goals against the Chiefs um, in a game that they lost by a touchdown. So interesting how that might have changed things in that game. Totally forgotten. Certainly how it would have changed the way that we view that Jordan Love performance. Uh, but so this is a, a really fun conversation that I think you're really going to enjoy. Before we get to that, today's episode brought to you by our friends at Bet Online. Bet Online is your number one source for all of your betting stats and sports info. Find all the latest sports developments, news, and odds, including we've got the NBA Finals, we've got the Stanley Cup Final, we've got Major League Baseball in full effect, MMA, UFC, golf, soccer, anything you can think of to bet on, bet online has it. Bet online. If you want to bet online, why wouldn't you go to a place named bet online? I mean, come on. It's right there in the title. Head to the website or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet online where the game starts. We also have an important favor to ask. Uh, We put together a survey so we can learn more about listeners like you and make your favorite Locked On Podcasts even better. This is your opportunity to tell us what you like and don't like about Locked On Podcasts. Go to LockedOnPodcast.com slash survey right now to get started. It won't take very long and everyone that completes a survey can qualify for a chance to win one of 10 $100 $100 Ticketmaster gift cards to take our audience survey. Go to LockedOnPodcast.com slash survey. Joining me now, back again for a second time, our friend from Packers News, Cassidy Hill. Cassidy, it is really good to be with you. You wrote a really interesting piece, and wrote is almost not, not enough because there was so much reporting, so many conversations. You've got video breakdowns and clips. It is a, an incredibly comprehensive piece. When we, we talk about these things, they're, they're called, little inside baseball, postmortems. And in this in this case, that seems like a very fitting title for the special teams for the Green Bay Packers for the last few years, because 
The Packers desperately needed to come back to life, right? So when you were working on this, what what was the thing that you were most hoping to learn? Well, to be honest, Peter, when it was brought to my plate and said, you know, would you like to work on this? I I just kind of figured it would be a one season look, you know, what went wrong this season. And obviously you focus on the 49ers playoff game and everything that just clearly went wrong there. I, I really thought I would break down what went wrong in 2021 with not only the 49ers game, but that Chicago December game where Grant just went off uh, the Kansas city game where there were a couple of botched field goals that were more due to operation than Mason Crosby and the Cincinnati Bengals game that, you know, where they, no one could make a field goal to save their life. And then everybody was making a field goal. And so I really thought I would focus on that and kind of get into the tape of what went wrong. And then as I got further and further into it, I realized this is not just, the tape, this is a, or this is not a one year issue. And granted, I have not been covering the Packers for that long, but it was very clear that this was a, a fundamental club issue. Like it was from the top to the bottom. This was a problem. It was a problem because of decisions that the front office has made over the past few years. It was a problem because of things on some level, not being coached correctly, but also a problem of just special teams not being emphasized enough so that even the things that were coached correctly were not handled correctly. They were not carried out on the field the correct way. And I think what really sort of um, shifted the focus of this entire piece was, and as you said, it was a a postmortem so much that went into it. And there's so much that didn't even get to make the final cut. I'm sure. I, I think before I really got started writing, I had over 25,000 words just in transcripts from different interviews. And the first version of this was 4,500 words. And my editor said, absolutely not. <laughs> <No> <laughs> and so I cut it down to 3,800 words and he cut it down to 3,100. It was a really good collaboration between he and I to get it down to what it needed to be. But some of that extra stuff is what you were mentioning uh, was on shared on Twitter the next day with some of the videos and the breakdowns. All of that to say, when this piece really started to take shape, um, was the day that Mo Drayton was fired. And a good friend of mine who who wished to write, remain anonymous, I'm going to honor that. A good friend of mine, though, that has been playing in the NFL as a special teams ace for about 10 years, does not play for the Packers, plays for a different team. But he called me out of the blue and he said, we need to talk about this. And I said, okay. And he said, let me tell you everything that actually has been the issue with the Packers special teams for the past few years. And he said, it's not even what you saw on the field this year. And he's the one who really sort of opened the door and made me realize how many issues there have been in the front office as well, just because of how they've handled things and the decisions they've made. And this is coming from someone who's, who's been a part of those conversations you know, as a free agent at time has been a part of those conversations and and has walked away going, that was a a confusing decision that they made. And I thought one of the more interesting things he told me was that before the season started, he looked at the roster and looked at who the two long snappers the Packers had on the roster were, which was Stephen Wartell and Hunter Bradley, and said, that's going to be an issue this season. And he was right. And he gave specifics, the things that only a special teams person who is in it every day would really know. But um, it, it was just sort of an 
eye-opening revelation that this is more than just something maybe not being coached correctly, but it's it's it in the roots. <laughs> you know, they just had to pull it up completely. And then as the interviews went on and different things sort of came to light and Rich Passaccio was hired, um, a, a longtime Packers fan, I was telling the story or I was telling him, you know, this is where this story is at so far, because I think it took about five months to put together. And he was saying, well, you know, what's frustrating is how good they were in the 90s. And he started going back and forth. And that's what really kind of turned the light bulb on to talk to Desmond Howard, one of the last mm-hmm. great, truly great special teams players for not only the Packers, but just in the NFL. I mean, he he could go into the hall. I don't think he will, but he could go into the hall based purely what he did on special teams. He is the last Super Bowl MVP to win the award because of a special teams performance. And yep. and I think the only one, if I'm remembering correctly. And um, so getting to talk to Desmond Howard was was really interesting just to hear. And, you know, he didn't say anything super shocking, but it was just hearing the passion in his voice as to how important special teams was in the 90s and that it was it was given the same amount of importance importance as the offense and defense were. And every team says that they say they want to do that. That team actually did it. And you could look at the numbers and, and he said, you know, we, I was told every day there are going to be times that Brett has an off day. You've got to pick him up. And, and that's something that was definitely missing from the special teams of the past few years. And so all of that sort of led to being able to ask Brian Gudenka some pointed questions and him admitting they've hampered themselves with the way they've drafted. And in a way they've, they've sort of been almost, even though they've hampered themselves in the draft, they've also been too beholden to it as well and not willing to take on some more experienced free agents when needed to fill some of those four most important positions of the returner, punter, holder, kicker, track long snapper. Yeah. I knew I was missing one. (laughs) So the free agency part of this, the front office piece, Mm-hmm. That was something that stood out to me because, frankly, that had not really been something that I had considered as a major p- part of the calculus here. Mm-hmm. I was just sort of like, I look around the league, everyone else seems to be doing the same thing where they're playing sixth and seventh rounders in these spots, their career backups, with the exception of some guys we know, Matthew Slater and some of these other guys who have been special teams aces, like that's what they do. There's There's a pretty small number of guys who are that. Mm-hmm. At the same time, to your point in the 90s, I can I can name like the specialists on those 90s Packers right. teams, Chris Jackie and Craig Hendricks. I can name the the ace guy like Lamont Hollingquest. I remember those guys because they had profile Mark Pryor because they were an important part of those teams. I still think the 96 Packers are the most complete team mm-hmm. in modern history precisely because number one offense, number one defense, and they had the best special teams in the league that season. I want to ask you more about this personnel piece because mm-hmm. The draft seemed to be driven, I wouldn't say in large part, but day three felt like, okay, like we're just going to let Rich Passaccia pick all these players. Right, <laughs> like exactly. It was just like all the guys <laughs> that they need. Did you leave your conversations um, and your your sort of research since this started feeling like those questions had been adequately addressed in your mind in terms of process? In many ways, yes, there's still some that we're just going to have to see it play out on the field to know if it was properly addressed. But I remember when I first started the first draft I wrote of this, I had a list of questions that I thought Matt LaFleur and Brian Gutekus needed to be asking. 
And then after the hiring of Rich Passaccia, that took care of a huge one. And, and I want to get more into that in just a minute, but to finish answering your question and then with the way they drafted and the way they have trusted Rich Passaccia in, in signing some of these free agents so far, they trusted Rich Passaccia when he said, bring in a third kicker. And then of course they released JJ Molson. So now they only have two, but they trusted Rich Passaccia when he said, bring in a third kicker. They trusted him when he said, um, sign Nixon. They trusted him when he said, release Bojo and sign Pat O'Donnell. And this is Bojo coming off one of the, statistically the best seasons for a Packers punter in, in franchise history. And yes, he had a, a down year towards the end, but he statistically still one of the best punting performances in the franchise history. He said, I want Pat O'Donnell. And, and so, and I'm trying to remember the exact timeline of that. Pat O'Donnell may have been signed before Rich Passaccia was officially hired, but they were already talking to Rich Passaccia. And, and so every part of me believes he was a part of that decision. Um, and, and so they've trusted him and they're already making moves that they normally wouldn't have made. And they brought in a second long snapper, Jack Coco, to compete against Wartell, which I know that they had two on the roster last year, but they brought him in early. And, you know, Brian Gutekind said that that will be a battle all off season to see who can take that job. Um, he's Goody has also said that Mason Crosby is the kicker until further notice. But again, th- they've trusted Bisaccio when he said we need to create a competition here. And so I think you see it there and then you see it as well in, in the way they drafted. Yes, because and that was one of the things I asked Brian, Brian Gutenkiss after the draft was how much were Christian Watson and Romeo Dubs' ability to contribute on special teams, did that contribute to their grade? And he said, yes, it did. You know, they may not be sticking them back there as just a returner every time, but they're going to use their speed and use their ability. And that was when he admitted, we've hampered ourselves in years past by drafting guys purely for what they can do on offense and not evaluating for what they can do on special teams as well. And so, and Christian Watson, Romeo Dubs, Samari Torrey, who's, who's going to be good. I think he's somebody, I know he's a late round guy, but he's someone to keep an eye on. Uh, They've all been practicing all special teams. A lot of these guys have, I think today I looked out. Christian Watson, a, an all American returner at North Dakota state. It should be noted. Exactly. You're right. And I think at one point I looked up today and I, I said to my colleague, Pete Doherty, I was like, why is Sammy Watkins working by himself over here? And he said, cause he's too <laughs> old to play on special teams. And that's when I looked up and realized Sammy Watkins was the only wide receiver, not practicing special teams. Everyone else was out there. Now, granted, Alan Lazard is not here right now. Randall Cobb has always made his money on special teams, but Randall Cobb, Watson, Dubs, Tory. Um, I'm trying to think and of who else. special teams last year. Degara. Right. Um, so did Equinemia St. Brown. He was one of their better special, better special teams players. Um, every offensive playmaker except for Sammy Watkins was practicing on special teams, which says to me, and they start and end practice with special teams right now. And maybe that's something they did last mini camp, but at least during the season, that was not how practice was run. And so I'm seeing more importance given to it. I'm seeing it emphasized more and seeing them making moves that they had not necessarily made in the past because of listening to Rich Passaccia and 
And the fact that they hired Rich Passaccia based almost not only on his his resume, but off a player recommendation. And that really stood out as well, that, that Matt LaFour was willing to listen to a former player who said, this is the best special teams coach I've ever been around. And that was kind of the the confirmation he needed and he trusted it. And so I think we're seeing a different mindset, at least, as to whether or not it'll play out on the field. That remains to be known, but they're at least ch- changing how they think about it, which was the biggest hurdle. The the how they're thinking about it, I think, is a fascinating paradigm shift in an organization that for a long time under mm-hmm. Mike McCarthy was just like, yeah, we'll just put a new coach in there. Right. They didn't have these sorts of come to Jesus moments where it's like, okay, now they didn't have the sorts of blowups. That's not even true. 2014 in the NFC championship right. game, the playoff, that was Russ, a complete yeah. and utter disaster on special teams. Now, you know, different circumstances. I understand that, but there was never this kind of thing. And I wonder how much of this in whether it was your research or whether it was just your writing of it, you considered or, or, um, asked about the impact of Matt LaFleur and all this, because I was, I was going through it and, and, and going, this is it. I think it takes a unique kind of coach to say, we're doing this all wrong. We need to change everything that we're doing it and then doing it like that. That is like, that seems intuitive, but we, we've seen plenty of coaches not do that. Right. Head coach is a, is a unique personality because they're in charge and they like it that way and they want to stay that way. Hiring Rich Passaccia, someone who's had head coaching experience and led his team to the playoffs with as a head coach, that sort of usurps some of your power, so to speak. And when we saw Rich Passaccia on the field for the first time during rookie minicamp. I thought it was really interesting. Coaches move a certain way during practice, especially during stretch. Usually it's just the strength coach and the head coach that sort of move throughout the team. The position coaches might will stick to their players. Rich Passaccia was doing everything Matt LaFleur was doing. And it wasn't in a way to emulate him. It was just that's who he is and that's how he knows to coach these players. And um, so, yes, to your point, it's a, it's a huge, I guess not, I'm trying to think of a better word. It's a huge nod in the, to Matt LaFour that he was willing to bring someone on who probably will have no problem telling him you're doing it wrong. You're, we're going to do it my way. And, you know, I think right after the season we were talking to Matt LaFour and I asked him, cause the, the Packers are very, self what's the word I'm looking for self-built they they keep everything in-house you know we're going to draft our guys we're going to keep our guys where we've got a lot of history we do things our way and ask Matt LaFleur after the season can you like look outside of the building can you look outside of football for answers and he said I think I have to and you know I'll start talking to other people that that run businesses a certain way and see what works for them. And he was saying that in reference to special teams, which I think said to him, because I honestly think he was shocked, Peter, like he was just shell shocked. That's the, that's the biggest way he seemed to me 
after the 49ers lost that night, he seemed obviously upset. But when we did a media availability with him the next day is when he just was like, eyes wide. I can't believe that happened. And I was talking to a player recently about special teams. And he said, he said, we all just went back to the locker room and nobody said anything. And then he said, it took us days to clean out our locker because nobody was prepared. He said, nobody had made an arrangements to go home. Nobody had bought plane tickets. Nobody had closed up their rental here in Green Bay for the winter. And he said, nope. And he said, we just still couldn't like believe it had actually happened. So all of that to say, I think Matt LaFleur was legitimately shaken to his core to realize that that could happen. And it was something that had been avoidable. It could have been so easily avoided with right coaching, right emphasis. And that's what stood out too. And I think I shared some of this on Twitter was that all of the mistakes were so easily fixable. And it was you know, if this one guy does his job, that doesn't happen. If the wing holds out the inside and the outside gap, Jordan Willis or Jimmy Ward never gets through there. If um, if the punt, if the PP comes over and helps the long snapper, Jordan Willis never gets through there. It's if you just simply on the Chicago play, if that outside man stayed with his angle, Grant never gets loose for that touchdown. Everything that was should have been coached correctly and probably was because we don't want to put it all on Mo Drayton, but just wasn't ever emphasized as being important. And it's every single bit of the special teams issues this past year were avoidable. And I think that's probably what hit Matt LaFleur more than anything. And when you are humbled that way, you can't, there's not much many other ways you can be humbled. You have to just kind of accept it and, and move forward. Anything as we as we finish up here, um, anything that that didn't make the piece that you did not put on Twitter that you think is a fun, a fun nugget, a fun something. This this stood out to me like give me give me something that was put on the cutting room floor, the floor that's still in your notebook somewhere. Oh, that's a really good question. Twenty five thousand words of transcripts. There's gotta be I know, something. right? <laughs> um, oh, man, I'm trying to sift through. Because there's some stuff I mentioned, but I didn't go into as much detail as I wanted. So, for example, one thing that I wish I had been able to go into a lot more detail, because I have a folder here that is about, yep, here it is. It is how many pages worth of stuff here? A lot. Yeah, it's it's a lot. And I think that was all condensed down to about three sentences. Um And it's what Matt LaFleur asked about possibly playing more starters on special teams. And is it worth the risk? And and he brought up losing A.J. Dillon in the 49ers game, which right. is understandable. How different would that have game been if A.J. Dillon had been in there for the rest of it? We don't know. But I think I mentioned the Bengals and the Rams in the story. But if you dive in, I dove into all eight teams that were in the um, playoffs after the wild card round. And the Packers were statistically the worst of all of them. Shocker. They were worst of all 32. But how many of those teams use special teams? The Bengals use more starters per snap than any other team. 
And the Rams don't use as many starters, but they use big starters. They'll use Jalen Ramsey. They'll use Aaron Donald. You know, they'll put these guys out there because they're their best athletes and they want them on the field when it matters. And um, because of that, I think the Bengals were the least penalized team, which makes sense because it's full of starters. And uh, let's see, there were some more. Oh, San Francisco, I think one of them was, you know, they didn't have a great team, but um, they had a consistent holder, long snapper, kicker, guard. That makes all the difference in the world. The Packers didn't have that. And that's what caused the issues in Kansas City. And, um, oh man, I'm trying to think. I know there was more. Oh, I remember one other thing that didn't make the cut. Um, some Someone that's been doing this for a long time, again, wanted to remain anonymous. That, that was sort of um, interesting to work around just because so many of these guys, you know, the NFL, it's, it's an incestual hiring practice and they don't want to yeah. speak out against the guy that could become their boss. And um, one guy that's been doing this for a long time told me any team that predicates themselves on offense never prioritizes special teams. He said, look at the teams with the best special teams. They're defensive-minded coaches. And um, Bill Belichick is one of the best examples of that. You know, I spent a lot of time in college. Nick Saban's a great example of that. Um, I mean, I'll never. You remember last year when Bill Belichick? All those Bears teams with Devin Hester. Bears, yeah. That was. They were always defensive. Right. And I think Bill Belichick spent nine minutes talking about a long snapper last year in a press conference, if I'm remembering correctly. That seems right. About 10,000 words. And and when he told me that, I started to look into it. And he's right. The best special teams units of the past decade have been on teams with defensive-minded coaches. If that had been something I had included, I would have dove more into that to figure out why that's the case. Um, I'm not really sure why, but it clearly there's a trend. And, you know, you look, I think he pointed out the Packers teams of the 90s as an example. That was a defensive minded team that just happened to have one of the best quarterbacks of all time on the other side. And then you look at the past two Packers coaches and they've been offensive minded coaches and special teams has taken a dive. I I don't know what there is to that, but it's definitely a trend and something interesting to keep an eye on. Well, you hope that that they're they're moving in the right direction, as you said. Um, this is this is the ultimate. The proof is going to be in the in the pudding, and we are not going to have pudding until September. So right now, we're not going to know. We're, we're not going to know yet. Yes, it is. It is in the fridge. It's setting somehow, or you know, however pudding works. I've been pudding in a long time. <laughs> it just got uh, weird. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so that's that's a great place to stop. This has been so great. Thank you so much, Cassidy, and uh, we will uh, talk to you soon. Of course, Peter. Thank you. All right. Thanks to Cassidy for joining the show. Awesome to talk with her. She is excellent. Uh, and and she we kept talking after about some more stuff that she remembered, more uh, quotes and, and concepts. And so um, she's really great. Check her out on Twitter. You can follow her on Twitter at Cassidy G Hill on Twitter. And of course, all her stuff is over at Packers News. Thanks for making Locked On Packers your first listen. Make your second listen. Locked On NFL podcasts are national and local NFL experts and insiders. Keep fans dialed in with the biggest local stories and latest news from around the league because an offseason doesn't mean a break in the action. Follow Locked On NFL every day on Odyssey, YouTube, and wherever you get 
podcasts. All right, we're back next week. We continue our three days a week format. We will have another summer Friday. Uh, I'm hoping to have another rookie orientation series uh, so that we can get you up to date on all these guys. We still haven't done Romeo Dobbs. We still haven't done the offensive linemen. Uh, So still plenty of fun stuff to do this off season before training camp opens at the end of July. Plenty of time before then, which means a ton of content for us to get to. Follow me on Twitter, Peter underscore Bukowski. Follow the podcast on Twitter, Locked on Packers. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked on Packers. And anytime, I should should I say the number one Packers podcast on the internet and the show for fans who know what happened. They want to know why and how. I flipped the intro and the outro, so we should do it this way. And anytime, <laughs> my goodness, you want to hit us up on the Locked On Packers fan hotline, you can do that 920-341-3775 to stay Locked On Packers.